Okay. Now we just I know that this is on the second Sunday of Christmas. Today is officially the last of Christmas. We ended our Advent Christmas series. So there's no more than that. So it's our custom when we finish a sermon series to go before we jump into something new, to go back to the Psalms and just pick up where we left off. So two months ago we left off the Psalm 16, Psalm 7. We're going to spend a few weeks in the Psalms and then jump into something else. We have some ideas. Myself and John Christopher Fisher. And what we'd like to do next, our sermon series, we haven't decided yet. We're trying to figure out between three things. I'm very excited. So uh, we'll let you know when we know. But for now, back to the Psalms. So we're in Psalm 17. I want to invite you to open the worship guide or your Bible, your phone, or your ears. Psalm 17, and you would stand for you. Psalm 17, a prayer for the neighbor. Hear me, Lord. Now please, Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come to you. May your eyes see what's right. Though you probe my heart, though you examine me and not even test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth is not transgressed. Though people try to bribe me, I have kept myself in the ways of the violence. What your lips? I have kept myself in the ways of the violence through what your lips have commanded. My steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. You who saved by your right hand. Those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. For the wicked who are out to destroy me, my mortal enemies who surround me, they close up their callous hearts, and their mouths speak with arrogance. They track me down. They now surround me. With eyes alert to throw me to the ground, they are like a lion hungry for Confront them. Bring them down with your sword, rescue me from the wicked. By your hand, save me from such people, Lord. Those of this world whose reward is in this life. May what you have stored up for the wicked fill their bellies. May their children force themselves on them. As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with the same your likeness. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you. 
Lord God, what heavy words you give to us. What a weighty message. Each of us here. I pray that you would help us understand what it is exactly that you are saying to us in this moment, this day, through this text. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Amen. You can be Okay, my standard standard sermon disclaimer. We're getting more and more uh, every week, but we give it again. Uh, there is a lot here in this song. And I'm tempted to just go through go through this verse by verse and give commentary as we go down. Um, sort of like going back to our you know, trail metaphor, you know, sometimes you know, going on a trail, a trail down, going through, just pointing on every single tree. I don't think anyone wants to do that. I'm afraid if we approach this psalm that way, if there's so much here, we would be two hours. And I don't want to do that to you. Um, the other thing is, is this is one of those psalms that it could be easy for us to miss the forest for the tree. Um, there, there's some points in this psalm that are, would be very easy and even good for us to stand and really examine. But uh, if, if we spend all of our time reading the psalm like this, we, we might miss the big idea. So since our time is limited, such the big idea here is so important. There's going to be some details here that I'd love to get into that we're going to just pass over. Sort of like when you're on a hike, some things you just pass right by. Because it means into a big deal right? So, for example, this thing at the end, this mysterious, really strong thing that ends with a praise and preparatory way. Um, maybe what you have stored up in the big and children forge themselves on it. I'd love to spend some time with that, but that's really intense. Uh, but we're going to deal with that kind of imprecatory thing another day. There's something else I want to show you here. So, fair? Okay. Alright, so what is the big idea for this song? What's the view of the forest that we need to see here? Well, this is a song about vindication. About longing for vindication. Longing to this is a prayer of David. This is one of those recorded private prayers. Some songs are written as congregational songs. Some songs are written as theological reflections. This song is written as a prayer, a private prayer. This is a prayer for vindication. Does everybody know what vindication means? What it means to be vindicated? Kids, do you know what vindication means? No to be vindicated means to be proven to be in the right. So, if somebody does something to harm you, or maybe if somebody accuses you of something that you didn't do, maybe your grown-up comes along and says, what happened here? And then they find out that you were the innocent party, right? 
that I found out that you were the one that got hurt. So okay, I'm going to do something about this. And that moment, you would be vindicated. Now, in our life as people, because we live in a fallen world, if all of us, at one point or another, go through times where we suffer harm, Brothers, all wrapped up and messed up in sin. We're all born into it, growing it, and sin is all around us. And it's not just our own sins that we have to deal with. We've got to deal with the sins of other, the sins of other people. We've got to stop swinging our arms. Uh-huh. We've got to deal with the sins of other people. And when other people sin, sometimes it hurts. But David is showing us in those moments when we're hurt by other people's sin, how to cry out to God, how to ask God, how, how, how to speak, how to reach for, how to look for vindication. That's the big idea of this song. It's a prayer for vindication. David, something's going on here. David's under attack. Verse 10 says, they close up their callous hearts and their mouths speak with arrogance. They've tracked me down. Now they surround me and their eyes are alert. They throw me to the ground and like a lion hungry for prey and first lion crouching in cover. Vivid imagery. It's like David is being chased down by some enemy. Now we don't know when David wrote this. Maybe he wrote this when he was the king and these were people that were challenging his throne. Maybe he wrote this before he became king and he was running around running from Saul who accused him of all kinds of crazy things and wanted him dead for no good reason. But we don't know when he wrote this. One thing we do know from reading David's life um, is there, there's this tension in David as a character in the Bible, in the historical figure. On one hand, he's called a man after God's own heart. He was God's anointed king, the king of Israel. He, he's like this Christ figure. He's this prelude to the Messiah. We look at David and we see this Jesus-like king. And a lot of people opposed him because of his goodness, because he was God's elect man in Israel. But also we look at David and we read the story of David was Saints. David did a lot of really, really, really bad things. A few things in particular that were like real, real, real bad. So when David writes a psalm and says something like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> like, what did he say? I said no evil. My mouth does not transgress. David isn't saying, I have no sin in my heart. That would be utterly ridiculous. When we read Psalms for David, and this happens throughout the Psalter, it's kind of a common theme, David writing these, I didn't do it, Psalms. When we read these, we have to remember that David is speaking from that first place. A place of being God's anointed king in Israel. God's appointed, elect leader of the people. Does, does that make sense? So, like when we 
months and months ago, we did Psalm 7, which is the Psalm when he didn't do it. David, if you remember that, David prayed, Lord, if I had done this, you would punish me, and I swear I didn't do it. Remember that song? He was speaking as the king. He was in my heart. What he was saying is that these people are opposing me because of what they're doing in my life, Lord. I'm trying to follow you. Or like later, we, we see over and over again the Psalms. It's this kind of cry. Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, I've led a blameless life. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, I've pleaded my cause against unfaithful men. Psalm 109, people are wicked and they are deceitful and they open their mouth against me. So when we read this, what we're reading here is the prayer of somebody who is not just suffering harm at the hands of others, but suffering harm at the hands of others because of what God has done. That makes sense. People oppose David because he was God's He's praying here in that place. Now, why is that important? Well, that's important because uh, every single person here, in one way or another, has sin in our life. Nobody can say in a very literal way, uh, I plan no evil and I have no transgression. None of us can say that. Like it says in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We need to acknowledge that. On the other hand, many people here, and I would, I would venture to, to maybe say, um, probably maybe just about everybody here, or if it hasn't happened to you, you never know one day. I want to be careful with that. But, okay. I would, more people than we would think here, at one point or another in your life, have suffered some kind of harm from somebody else, somebody else's sin that was aimed at you or came to you specifically because you were a person who was trying to follow God. I think many of us have experienced that. Now, I want to be careful here. We don't live in a place where Christians are under harsh persecution. We're not meeting here, uh, having to be secretive because, you know, soldiers can march into the door or something like that. And those kinds of things are very real in many places in the world. So we want to acknowledge there is a kind of persecution that we do not experience. But on the other hand, I think so many of us at one point or another have been harmed, have been hurt, have been persecuted, have been sinned against because we're trying to follow God. Because we're trying to be the person that we call us that we want. And I think it's good for us to acknowledge that Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble thinking of his disciples. I think maybe some of us have, you know, work life. Maybe some of us have been from work, have experienced this, maybe. Somewhere at work, you were cast over, penalized, uh, because of your work ethics. 
shaped by a different standard than the other co-workers. Maybe some of you with your family or friends made fun of or mocked. Maybe called self-righteous and mean to me, trying to be humble and follow God. Like many of us experience, even if it's little micro pressures, that stuff hurts, doesn't it? You know, one thing we don't talk about enough that I think is very real, and maybe even is the circumstances of this very song, is that sometimes when we try to follow God the best we know how, we have to bring a composition from within the people of God. Sometimes trying to follow God because of heaven's command, trust Jesus to live like he calls us to live, means we don't fit in our church community. This stuff is real, and I think that we all experience it. It's good for us to acknowledge that. That's what's happening in the song. The song shows us it's okay to cry out to God and say, in the kingdom. Now, another thing the song does is it doesn't just leave us in that place of affirming the experience of the person who's trying to follow God. Feels wrong because it's wrong. The song also shows us, David shows us what to do when we are wrong or our faith. How to respond. So let's take a moment and let's, let's, let's examine that. How should we respond when we are wrong or, to use the big P word, persecuted, hurt? Because we are trying to follow God and we want to be vindicated. How do we go about that? What do we do? Well, one thing that we see in this song that David shows us um, by example, and I think that this is really, really important for us in our cultural moment. One thing that we should do is not seek vindication. In the conflict itself. So seek our vindication from God. It's really important that David right at the beginning praise to God and say, Let my vindication not come from you. Praise Lord, let your eyes see me You know, it's real easy when somebody harms you or mocks you fun of you, or belittles you, or passes over you, or does something bad to you because you're trying to follow God, the easiest thing in the world to do in that moment when you feel harmed is to snap back at that person and try to find vindication right there in the moment in the conflict, isn't it? I think if one place we see this all the time is in social media. Sometimes somebody will say, I believe this. Somebody says, that's ridiculous. You're an idiot. And so, yeah, well, David shows us don't seek vindication in the moment. Look to God for your vindication. If we can get caught up in trying to win, trying to defend ourselves, or even taking on a victimized mindset. Oh, my Lord, we need everybody. 
everybody is against me. I'm the only person here who cares about what's right. There are ways where we seek vindication in the actual conflict. Save the songs. Don't do that. Go to God. God, let my vindication come from you. May your God see what is right. David shows us that if God is the only one who knows the whole story about what happened, that's enough. I, a number of years ago, a buddy of mine gave me uh, a book called No Continuing City, which is a memoir of a missionary, Alan Tippett. Alan Tippett was a missionary in uh, 20th century to Fiji. He was Australian, Anglican. I'm sorry, not Anglican. Uh, Methodist. Methodist missionary to Fiji. He was Australian. And later in his career, he he uh, he, he had this great influence. He was he taught at Fuller Seminary in California. He was one of the people who helped lead the modern missionary movement away from a colonial model and into a Business-led model. If that means anything to you, then, then you know how important God typically is. He's a giant. So I remember reading his memoir. Alan Tippett tells a story in his memoir that stuck with me for years. Right out of seminary, he got down in seminary in Australia. He was uh, assigned to his first pastor, first pastor position by his bishop. You know, bishops in our tradition, but his tradition, the bishop was the boss. Bishop says, go here, that's where you go. So he went, he became the pastor of this little church in this place in Australia called King's Island. So the time was remote, and it was rough. When he showed up to report for duty at his job, they issued him uh, a motorcycle and a rifle. Uh, because that, those were, that, was, that was the equipment that he was going to need in order to live <laughs> And to survive and to get the job done. Well, he tells the story of the old church once he at King's Island. He says, right when he got there, he starts doing church on Sundays with people. But they were real synagogues. And he found out that there was a lot of new preachers that started to come. And he thought, oh, that's interesting. But he did what he was trained to do, what he really cared about, and it's a missionary. And during the week, he went out and he started meeting people in the community. He started a football club. He started sharing Christ with people. People started sharing about Jesus. He, he gained all this acceptance and respect in this town where preachers have been accepted and respected before. And the more the townsfolk outside of the church accepted uh, Dr. Tippett, the less the church people liked him. And one day, after church, there was a congregational meeting, and he realized that he had been at the church and wanted to know. They, they started accusing him of all kinds of things. And he realized that behind all of this, they felt like he didn't care about them because he spent all his time with pagan sinners. And he tells this story, and they mentioned the grandfather. I'm reading this. I read this when I was in seminary. It was heart-wrenching to me, but he goes 
goes through this whole story in detail, and it ends with his, they loaded his back on the boat for him to get him out of town. He's chasing the boat to try to get out of town, running away from the church. And he tells the story, and at the end, this is what he says. He says, my deepest regret, my deepest regret in, in that moment, or that when I have been personally attacked, I had in the heat of my heart defended myself. I remember reading that highlighting. As a young pastor, I read that. It was just like a horror story of somebody in ministry. And here's a guy who has seen everything. In the memoir at the end of his career, he recounts this horrible experience being persecuted because he was trying to be free. And he says, the thing that I regret the most in that whole situation, if I could take one thing back, is that right then and there in that meeting, I opened my mouth and tried to vindicate myself. I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that. Or you were harmed, you were attacked. And you felt like maybe you even did have the right to open your mouth and tell your accuser, I didn't do it. But that just made it even worse. David is showing us here. There's a time to stand up to injustice. There's a time to speak out. There's a time to protest. I mean, the cross of Christ was the greatest, most powerful, most blatant protest against injustice and evil that has ever taken place. There is a time to stand up and open our mouths and say no. But we should never, ever, ever seek our vindication in the concept, in this moment. As it just makes it also because God, who sees everything, stands with open arms, waiting for us to turn to him and say, you see that my vindication comes from you. Which brings us to the second thing that maybe shows us in the song that we need to learn. We won't find vindication in the tongue, but we will find vindication from God. Because God gives it freely. And you know how he gives it? By giving us himself. By giving us himself. Not just by seeing what's going on. But actually by in that moment. Responding to what happens with the gift of his presence in our life. Well, even something more than that, the gift of the beatific vision. K. Charlie has a big vocabulary word. Um, look at verse 15. David says, As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing more likeness. I will awake. I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. I will be vindicated. I will see your face. 
David knew, like saints have known throughout the ages, that the conflict and the hardship and the persecution and the hurt that he was experiencing in his life, and one day it would come to an end. One day he would die. And after death, he would awake in God's presence. And he would be able to see God. He would awake in God's presence. This is something that the Bible teaches us from beginning to end. Less explicit in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament, where it's a little bit more explicit. But it's, it's, a, it's a classic, uh, clear teaching of our faith. That for people who put their trust in God, after they die, they awake in God's presence. That thing, that one day, Believers and the faithful will awake in God's presence and will see Him. That thing is called, has been called throughout the history of the church, the doctrine of the beatific vision. Beatific is a fancy word that means happy. The happy vision. Uh, the happy vision is what happens when we as believers die and we wake up in God's presence and there He is. Beatific vision. What David is saying is that all this hurt, all this mess, all this conflict, can't vindicate myself, but God sees. And when I finally am laid to rest, and then I awake in God's presence, and I look upon his glorious face, in that moment, I will be vindicated. David is saying when he gets the gift, Looking at God. That's when every harmful thing that's ever happened in his life. Now, I remember I had, we had a neighbor one time, he and I were sitting outside. Uh, he had grown up in a kind of hard, harsh, cold life on the Maybe he had suffered all kinds of. I had the privilege of listening while he shared some of those things with me. And I remember talking to him about just trying to share some encouraging words about it. I don't even remember what I said. Probably something about God's love or God's seeing the hurt that I have in your head. But he said to me, and at first, at first I was offended because I thought I was mocking. And then I realized that he was speaking out of deep, deep pain. He said, are you telling me that I should, that everything's just going to be okay when I die and go to heaven? He goes, yeah, right. So, and at first I was kind of thinking, and I said, yeah, that is what I'm telling you. And he shook his head. And later I realized that that's something that he had been told over and over again. Oh, one day I'll wake up and I'm going to have a new That's not what David is saying. David is not just saying this grand bear and all the hurt and abuse that ever come to your life because one day you'll wake up and go to heaven. He's not saying that. But David is saying that when you do one day awake and you see the face of God, all harm actually will be undone. 
done. Not just because heaven's going to be so good that you forget about everything else, but because there's power in God's presence. Because hurt can't exist there. We read the chapter earlier about love. And we know that God is love. We read all about how God about how love is patient and kind. It doesn't delight in it rejoices in good. And then Paul says that when completeness comes, when the completeness of love comes, he's talking about the full presence of God. He says, what we know in part, the, the, the part of love that we know now, that, that we give our lives to, that we long to experience, it will take over everything. It will be like going from a child to a grown-up. We will grow into a new kind of love that takes over everything. And what we see now, the goodness of God that we see now, will be overshadowed like this is just a mirror and that will be the real thing. And we're going to look at him face to face. And in that moment, only three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. That's stronger than it's going to be okay when you go to heaven. Oh. This is when I awake, I will see your face and I will be vindicated. So David teaches us when you are hurt, when you are harmed, don't seek your vindication for the moment. You will never find it. But vindication is freely offered to you by God, and that vindication is God himself giving himself to you, allowing you to see him, inviting you into his presence, and it's promised to you as the people of God. Now, this is where we enter the miracle of Christmas. David writing about this is really beautiful. But what we're hearing in David is he's talking about the heart, he's praying to God, and then he's hoping for the end. And that's kind of it. It's a prayer of faith. And we read this and we resonate with that. But we have something today that David didn't have then. We can look back and see that this beautiful truth, the hope, of the beatific vision, of waking up and seeing the face of God. It wasn't that David was wrong, but it is that he didn't quite understand the whole story. God had not chosen to make us wait until we die for the heaven in order to see him in order to show his face to the world. In fact, that's the miracle of Christmas. That God isn't waiting until the end of all things to show his face to the world. But he chose to enter the world to show his face. The face of Jesus Christ. The image of the invisible God. So that we wouldn't just look upon him with eyes of faith, but that we can look upon him with human eyes of faith. A human being who doesn't stand far off when we suffer, 
but joins us in the suffering. And when we do die, when we do see him, we're not just seeing him in some material place, we're seeing him in resurrection, where he himself, as a human being, was vindicated for the harm that was done to him. And then calls us to join him in that vindication. As for me, I won't be vindicated when I see your face, I'll be satisfied with the sake of your likeness. Folks, if your faith and your hope are in Jesus Christ, then no matter what you have experienced at the hands of other people, one day you will awake in God's presence and see the face of God, a human face marred with scars that are healed. That looks at you and calls you beloved, brother or sister. That's the face of love. And that moment, receive your vindication. And until then, follow the Let's look forward with all of our hearts. Look to our Christ, who suffered, died, was raised, and was vindicated, so that we can receive the infinite mission.